Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come with your breath. Come with your wings of safety. Come as the one who comes alongside. Help us, O God, to know your loving and gracious and compassionate presence with us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been listening to a book called The Body Keeps the Score lately. In it, the author, uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, Kolk, explains how our physical bodies contain the memory of our past experiences. The thesis of the book is when we experience trauma, even when we don't have cognition of what has happened to us, our body holds the trauma's memory. Even with the vast differences between us of personality and you know all that sort of thing. There are ways that we cannot escape the impact of past events in our lives. As most of us know, naming an experience can be a gateway to recovery. But there needs to be practices and approaches engaged in that can actually, over time, help to rewire our brain so the healing process can happen. This book has been an interesting backdrop to me to, this, to the sermons this fall as we've studied about the journeys of the Israelite people. I can't help but wonder what memories the body of the Israelite people held in their collective consciousness from their years in slavery. I can't help but wonder when God promised blessing for generations to come and curses on those who disobeyed, if the people heard those words with a first crazy kind of hope, can this be true? And then an equally crazy sort of knowledge, I feel the past now. I can't help but wonder how these memories impacted the yes and the no of the people to their God. Today our lesson is from the last chapter of Joshua. So last week we just entered into the book of Joshua, and now we're at the end of the book. The people of God have been in the promised land doing their best on most days to obey the commands of God. But there is a lot of nuance in their story of those first years in this promised land called Canaan. When you read the whole book, there are individual stories which may go unnoticed if you just get lost in the episodic battles of 
the Israelite people against this people and all these sorts of other things that make it kind of crazy when you read it, or the continued failures of the people. The personal narratives, the personal story that's found within the book highlight the story that God is writing. You know, it's the whole book, but it's these personal stories. It's personalized. But it's also the whole people of God. The story of the process of the people becoming the beloved people. That know their God. And are known by their God. Everyone has a voice and an opportunity to participate and make a way for the God's spirit to move. So it's individually and corporately. It's all throughout the whole book. Everyone together embodies the life of blessing and abundance that God desires to give. But here in the last chapter of Joshua, the people again are at a transition point. So again, we just entered the book and now we're exiting out. But here they are in a place of transition. They have done the hard work of entering the land that God has given to them. Joshua is now at the end of his life with final words to say. And he speaks frankly recalling to mind the great wonders that the Lord has done for the people. He had been with the people throughout the wilderness wandering. And here he is, last words. This is what God has done for us. But within the remembering, there is a new exhortation that emerges, a call to commit to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Now, the people respond with eagerness to Joshua's word, but surprisingly, surprisingly, he's not quick to hear and accept their response. He reminds them with what I read as a bold tenacity that they will not be able to prevail in their own strength. They will not be able to do it. But the people insist, no, we will serve the Lord. I don't know if they said it that way, but no, we will serve the Lord. No, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what the tone was. Anyway, Joshua affirms, you are witness to your own decision. You have chosen to serve the Lord. The people reply, yes, we are witnesses to what we have said. It's an odd sort of interchange. It's kind of like, huh, what? Mm -hmm. Not quite the language we would use. But Joshua's asking them, you know, come on, are you sure about this? It reminds me of a parental tease. Are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you really sure you're sure? It also reminds me of Jesus' threefold questioning of Peter after the resurrection when he asks him, not once, not twice, but three times, if Peter loves him. So this back and forth sort of interchange 
is found in another place in Scripture. So there's something in this call and response that rings true in this transition place. It seems, maybe I'm reading into the text, but this is what it seems to me. There's a need for the Israelite people to claim their own voice, to claim it. And to claim in this transition place their own self-identity as a people. The people have been through a lot together. As they stand here, Joshua speaks his final words to them. Even though much has happened, they're really not that far away from the generation that was enslaved in Egypt. They're not that far away from it. And they're even closer to the memory of those who had wandered in the wilderness and did not make it into the promised land. Yet through the practices of being God's people, they are learning. I think this is part of the process that is happening both in Exodus and here in Joshua. They're learning what it means to be God's people. What does it mean to be in relationship with this God who has chosen us? Living into their identity as the beloved of God. And so here they're at another crossroad. I've always heard it said, I don't like to say always, I have heard it said, I have heard it said, When it comes to our faith life, we're always a first generation. We're always a first generation. We have to say yes, you know. It has to be a yes. We we don't inherit that. There's there's a personal yes there. So I say yes and no, yes and no to that. And this is how I think about this. First, the yes. So leaning into our identity as covenanters, we believe that a personal yes to Jesus is primary to our faith. The second of of the six covenant affirmations states it this way, and I, I think the language is really good. We affirm the necessity of the new birth. The Apostle Paul wrote, If anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. New birth in Christ means committing ourselves to him and receiving forgiveness, acceptance, and eternal life. It means being alive in Christ, and this life has the qualities of love and righteousness, joy and peace. New birth is only the beginning. Growing to maturity in Christ is a lifelong process for individuals and communities of believers. God forms and transforms us, and it is through people transformed by Christ that God transforms the world. Very solid second affirmation. Our yes is important. 
In it, we turn our, our, in, in it, we turn our yes, our faces, towards God. As the second affirmation states, there is a walking out of that yes day by day and year by year until the day that we are no longer walking on this earth. So I said yes and no, and so here's my, my explanation of why I say no. The second is the no. The choices and the experiences of who we are run much deeper than our initial yes to Jesus. A signed commitment card, coming forward, or like the people here in this passage in Joshua 24, a covenant ceremony at Shechem. We know there's no presto changeo, or in Star Trek terms, we cannot, as Jean-Luc Picard says before the Starship Enterprise, in, in part on a great new mission, make it so. He always tells that, make it so. There are places in our hearts and our lives that are so deeply shaped by our past experiences or choices and by family stuff that we can't make their influence go away just by sheer willpower. We just can't make that happen. The story of the people of God starts with God. It starts with God. It's all about God. As we have highlighted in these weeks, this is the primary posture of all the interactions we have with, as God's people with him. Even when the people's choices are not in line with what God has asked, the presence and the persistent love of Persistence of divine love prevails. That's what the stories have said over and over and over again. And we are told when the story ends, ultimately God is triumphant. So as I've thought about the application of this text, I have wondered what a covenant ceremony in an ancient land, long time ago, has to do with us today. Well, here's my feeble attempts to unpack that. I think our identity in God ha has moments where the call and the response between ourselves and God take on a new meaning. Sometimes these times are intentional and planned, like at a wedding or a baptism or a dedication of a child. Other times they come because something is happening outside of ourselves, such as the death of a parent or the succession of a dearly loved leader or mentor that's no longer there anymore for us. It can come sometimes in the midst of a new job or life change when we find that something more is needed of us. 
Sometimes it comes as a grief or loss or failure that pushes us to understand God and ourselves in a new way. Or, or it can be when we find ourselves in a place of mundane ordinariness when life is just a little bit boring. Whatever it is, something is called for us that is beyond our known capacity. We are asked to look at things in a new way, bringing forward the past into the here and now. I've had those moments. Something's called for. You have a decision. There's something. There's a new yes that's being asked. But what if we can't? What if we can't? What if the past is not a reminder of faithfulness? That's what Joshua was was doing here, helping the people remember. What if the past is not a reminder of faithfulness, but of pain? What if we don't want to hear the call and response because we fear we might be overwhelmed with unpleasant feelings or sensations from somewhere long ago? I don't want to hear that, God. I don't want to. Because if I, if I enter into that vulnerable place with you, other stuff's going to come up too at that moment. What if the storyline of our life is where we not only feel disappointed, but that feeling of disappointment becomes uh, our identity. I feel like a disappointment. I mean, you could put lots of words in there. I imagine that that gathering of uh, people, the people of God, all the leaders and Joshua, they're all together, they're talking, they're having this discourse among them. And I imagine myself, another person, in that place of being asked in that crowd and wondering, okay, God, do you see me? (laughs) Do you know my story? Do you know what I'm feeling right now? I have to imagine, this isn't groupthink that was happening in in that gathering. Somebody, somebody there is wondering. Our covenantal God makes covenant with us. Our covenantal God makes covenant with us. And even in that place of yes, It always starts 
with God's desire for relationship with us, with us. No matter what, where we're at, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're not feeling, whatever, God wants to have covenant relationship with us. Our past, our past is not an obstacle to God's faithful love for us today. All are yeses. How big or small they are, all of them are based in this truth. And when we say yes, when we say yes, new ways of living in our own skin and being in the, in the world are open to us. I think that's what's happening here in Joshua 24. But hear this, church. It's ultimately not up to us to make it happen. And even in the place when we cannot say yes, God's spirit is still present. There's a um, psychological term called holding environment. And um, the, it's, it's a place in a, re- a relationship between a parent and child where the, the child understands there's enough trust in the relationship so they can, they can stay close. You know, the, the, the mother or father's not hovering and making sure all the time. They're here, they're present, and the child knows they're present, and the parent is present, and they're just together. But there's space. You're not, like, clinging on like a... We used to call Klingon. Um, that's, you know, the child clings on. Klingon. You become a Klingon. Um, but there's enough trust built in the relationship so you can stay present but yet connected. So it's a psychological term that happens um, in early development of kids. The thing is about a holding environment is that we do that for each other too. We stay present enough to be with, but not so close that we're enmeshed and you know, clinging on. And God does that for us, never overwhelming us, always present, always present, always with. I think our, our work, if you want to call it that, our learning, as a young child learns that, a parent who is near, what safety and love is that they can become individuated little people, that God's spirit is near. God's teaching his people here in Joshua 24. Joshua's doing his best to help them own who they are, who God desires them to be. And in the call and the response and the yeses and the hmm, not, I don't know, God is present. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you for those moments in time where you are present and you call us into a new place with you, a new way of discovering who we are and who you are with us. And God, I, um, I, I pray this day that those places that are still locked up inside of us, the places that have yet to find that place of opening to you, um, that you would come with your, your peace and your healing and your mercy. We desire, oh God, to be fully surrendered to you, to follow you wherever you desire us to go, into the abundance and the blessing. But we need your help, oh God. And we humbly ask for it. May we know you, oh God, in your holding environment your strong arms of love, your protection, your safety, your comfort and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.